Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Hello. 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 <laughs> We're recording now. Oh, we are. Yeah. Good. Nick, you look absolutely fantastic today. Can I just tell you that? Are you trying to butter me up? <laughs> You are. You're buttering me up. I am. I'm buttering you up. What do you, you want? Up. You want something. This is um, a little saying. Nick's got the actual answer where it comes from, but I haven't seen it yet. So um, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? So if I'm buttering you up, I'm being over the top nice to you because I want something in return. Is that sort of the energy yeah, behind but, it? But then when we look at it literally, you're grabbing a stick of butter and smearing it all over me. And I don't think that's going to help me to give you then what you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so okay. So if I'm trying to make you feel overly good about yourself, butter's not going to cut the butter. Not going to. It's not going to cut the cut the butter. <laughs> um, so I don't know. Would that be good to get lathered up in butter by someone? Depends on who and in what situation. Exactly. Right? Circumstantial. Yeah. In in most situations, probably not. <sighs> I'm tipping not. Probably not. Not. Yeah. So you, you imagine. I've just rubbed you in butter all over. <laughs> I hope we've got some really visual listeners. And out you're, there. you're glistening with butter, <laughs> Am and I then basically clothes? you're like, you're like, all right, what do you want? That <laughs> <laughs> finally, you've 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 done enough buttering. I'm ready to give you what you want. Reminds me of the episode. I'm sufficiently <laughs> glistened. <laughs> How buttered do you have to get? <laughs> oh, for me, it'll be all the way. We used to have. There's this guy I used to know right back when I was like 20, 21, and we we're going out and you know, doing drugs and going to raves on the weekend. And um, we go back to his place out in, in the suburbs. It was his beautiful house. So when his, his parents were away, we'd go to the rave all night, be up all night, go back there and just do heaps more drugs. Not that we condone that sort of stuff. No, no. But, um, <laughs> this relates back to butter. But So he had this beautiful fucking... <laughs> I wait to see how this comes this, back around. Well, it, in the, you'll least expect it. But he... <laughs> Um, had this beautiful house. It was like a bit of a mansion. Like it was double story and it's lots of rooms. Every single room had like a small plate with a butter on it. So like a <laughs> <laughs> like out of the packet and just a, a b- block of butter in every room. <laughs> and it's like we'd, we'd oh, been there we'd one time. We'd been there for like eight or ten hours, and we were so off our guts we didn't realise. And then we're sitting there all quiet, starting to come down the land room. And I turned to my mate, and I'm like, "Did you notice there's fucking butter in every room?" He's like, "Yeah, what's going on?" Did you start taking a breadstick with you? You have to. You don't come with a baguette every time. You would be fine. And we asked him, like, "Mate, why is there butter in every room of the house?" Because I don't know. My parents do it. Are they are they of some uh, some foreign dis- descent? Like no. A- they must be French a little bit, though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So you could get buttered up in that house real <laughs> Sounds good. like You could butter up a football of, team in that house. Plenty of buttering up going on in that in that hood. So maybe um, it did it. Give me a clue. Give me a clue where it originated from. Mm, a place where there's many people. A country where there's many people. China? No. India? Yes. Um Interesting. So was butter like a really high commodity at one point in time? So to actually give something... No, you're shaking your head. You're never going to well, get Well, they're into butter over yeah, there. They're yeah. into ghee. Yeah, I know. Ghee, Clarified yeah. butter. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. That was awesome. That's actually really good. Yeah, I, I want that to, was lightning quick. I want to use that in a situation, okay. like when, when ghee is involved. Yeah. yeah like, is that butter or ghee, mate? Or Jeez. why don't you go and do judo? They wear geese. 
That's that's the uniform. Oh, it's no, called a gi. No. Yes. Um, go into go, in, go into the judo dojo, the dojo. and you go, go. Yep, I want to start up, and they go, "Here's your gi," and you're like, "What's again? Like it's your uniform." You go, "Thanks for clarifying that." Oh no. <laughs> then they'll just be like, "Get the get, fuck out!" <laughs> Everyone fuck, beat him. Get the fuck out. <laughs> um, all right, so it originates that's, from India. It's so random. You're never going to get it. Okay, hit me with it. So the meaning is to flatter someone. The origin, this phrase comes from an ancient Indian custom that involved throwing butter at statues of the gods. <laughs> this was supposed to be an act of humility and people did so in the hopes that the gods would look upon them favourably. By throwing butter at them? This is correct. Interesting. Maybe my my old friend, they had little statues in their lounge room and kitchen. That's just ammunition. Throwing butter it's at it. ammo laying around the, the house. For the gods. Um, right, that's uh, I kind of like weird. it. I like it better when we don't know the meaning and we never learn the meaning. Yeah, like, this is the first time we've actually. Let's make this the last time we actually yeah, look it up. Yeah, right, good, good idea. I like um, that. Today we're talking about love. First of all, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the newly crowned UFC middleweight champion of the world, Israel, the last style bender Adesanya. I um, went along, and even though I was going for Robert Whittaker, the Aussie guy he beat, um, this guy is a, is a class act, but I uh, follow him on Instagram like a lot of people do. And, um, you know, he po- put a post up about it being Mental Health Month. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? That yeah. Is. And then even just put a picture of him about to enter a door to see a therapist. And just basically said, my life's changing fast. I want to make sure I can be faster and stay ahead of the wave. And this is beautiful what he wrote. Not everyone is mentally ill, but everyone should take care of their mental health. Uh, mad um, props to that. Oh, that's just, it is mad prop. This is a guy who like literally won the world championship uh, in the UFC in front of 57,000 people. I was one of them on the weekend. And, um, you know, most people would be out partying or mm. you know letting it go to your head and that kind of mm. thing but to put out a message to the world instead of in a strip club going yeah look at me it's like no i'm going to a therapist because this is a weird situation i want to stay ahead of it so that's very proactive he sounds rather woke he is pretty woke he sounds yeah woke. yeah and he rubs that's- he rubs some people up the wrong way because he is very confident and sort of woke at the same time um but i think he's uh, a very positive influence well i think woke people are by nature more challenging because they're they're speaking a truth or a reality that's different to the one most people are walking around in. Yeah. So that's where the the challenge would lie. You know who else is woke as fuck talking about uh, this sort of stuff? Basha Hawley from the Richmond Football Club. Because, you know, as you – what was his nickname, your fighter? Uh, The Last Style Bender. The Last Style Bender. Nice. I got called Spine Crusher at Pilates this morning. Spine Crusher? Yeah. And then as I started. Sounds like a WWE wrestling name. It does. And as I started. The Spine Crusher Sutherland. Well, I I, I needed needed, um, to, to. Borrow the shoulder of my Pilates instructor to climb down off something. Did you give it back? Because my knees aren't good. <laughs> let me let me tell the jokes in here, right? Okay. <laughs> and and one of the the, the the other guy in there goes, "Oh, you nearly crushed her spine," and I'm like, "Oh, Nick's Nick the spine crusher Sutherland, is it?" And then so we're in around <laughs> the room, and and Candice, my Pilates instructor. Um, what was her name? Candace Gritz, oh, the the gatekeeper or something. And then there's this like 86 year old lady, and she, her, hers was time bomb. She's like a ticking time bomb because <laughs> I had to had to match up with the 
the first letter of your surname. Yeah. And she's like, why am I a time bomb? What, what's a time bomb? <laughs> just, just this mad talk about. I'm like, it's, it's not personal. It's, it's, not, it's just a joke. There's, there's no link anywhere other than, oh, forget it. Yeah, forget en- it. Engage your call. Yeah. You'll be right. Um, so Basha Hooley. Yeah, so just, well, we'll get back to Basha. So I used to be right into the WWE and me and my best mate Phil, we used to go, there was an adventure park uh, out in the suburbs near where we lived with a mini golf course but they had a big jumping castle out the back Yeah, and um, you know you weren't meant to go on it if you were too old we were like 15, 16 at this point and we'd go there and have like WWE matches and that kind of thing and we'd get there and there'd be like you know kids under 10 on there and we didn't want to kick them off so we'd kind of just jump on there and just aggressively jump around <laughs> them until they all got off and we'd have these full we'd end up breaking this jumping castle like three times but I think uh, I was I was rock hard Ryan Hassan <laughs> Oh my goodness! Phil, Phil was Phil the executioner Edwards, but his last name isn't Edwards. <laughs> <laughs> but he had to start with E because that was the nickname. <laughs> so your early wrestling career, the nickname carried on into you know your porn career. Then yeah. <laughs> could have been my porn name. Yeah, Rockhard Ryan. Was that it? Rockhard Ryan Hassan. Yeah. Yeah. But, but Hassan starts with H, so that didn't... It was like the R-H-R-H. Yeah, right. Rock yeah. hard, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you really thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> Way too much. Uh, so, yeah, Basha. Yeah, so speaking of, you know, um, the last style bender, not going out on a bender after his win and sitting in a strip club and posting selfies um, in Hooters or whatever, it's... It's a, it's a, it's really great to see this sort of thing happening a bit more often. Um, and that was in the paper after Richmond won the grand final. Basha Hooley was back at the MCG the next day coaching a little kids team. The next day, the yeah, very next yeah. morning, uh, he, he Basha doesn't drink or anything, so would have celebrated with family and friends or whatever. And the whole team's in. Um, in Thailand at the moment going off their head and yeah Bash is still just doing the work and so really sort of humbling really yeah. uh, and, and you know we've all done it we all go out and celebrate and you know get off chops or whatever but it's, it's great to see a, a, a healthier way I suppose yeah absolutely yeah it's like you know, what would you do if you won the grand final? Well, the next day I'll go back to doing what I normally Life do. Life goes on. Life goes on. Yeah. What do they say that saying about enlightenment? It's like um, before enlightenment, you know, do the washing. After enlightenment, do, do the, the washing. washing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing changes. Nah. So, mate, today the topic is love. love. You know, we've talked on this show before about shame and you know, addictions and <laughs> mental illnesses and all that kind of stuff. Today, you just, we were having ramen before the show. I said, Where at? Arjasan Ramen, oh. our, our uh, anonymous sponsor. <laughs> Only they, they don't know us, we know them. Um, and I said, what are we going to talk about today, Nick? And you looked at me and you were beaming. Mm. Like your, your aura was expanding mm-hmm. and you said, love. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, let's go with it. I said, I'm glad you asked me that because today I'd like to talk about love. And what a beautiful topic. I know. Well, I know. And we've got a few things to cover when it comes to love. Um, well, it's such a, as I said to you, it's, I guess things are as complex or as simple as you make that. But but I think love, it's an intangible. So in that it can, it can be rather complex. It can be multi-layered and multifaceted and 
um, yeah, I just wanted to spend some time unpacking it, basically. Today. And I think there's a lot to unpack. I think there's different, many different types of love. I, I often get caught up with what is love you know is love an emotion is love a state of being i'm gonna sing a lot in today's podcast Are is you? this love that i'm feeling because no, it's sure just gonna it's just gonna trigger gonna these songs out of in you. my head yeah, yeah okay that's fine um yeah we'll just edit those bits out for yeah, people good, listening at home good chat, good chat. Um, <laughs> hit the showers everyone <laughs> Tell your friends they'll be here a week. So I, yeah, I, I get caught up on like, is it emotion, a state of being, or is it like our pure self? Is that love? I often hear, like, I listen to a lot of like spiritual teachers and that kind of thing, and they talk about they breaking themselves down and peeling back these layers, and a lot of them tend to come to these conclusions, even from different, I suppose, beliefs and mm. sects, that at the end of the day, sects not sex um, <laughs> that at the end of the day they're like oh, after everything after everything was peeled back it was just love or they'll just say I'm just love everything's love that's what it is and another school of thought is that we're all just energy mm-hmm. so which science so, has so proven I so think people are saying is that energy love so is, is love just energy and when you look at it it could be because it's a it's, an, it's a vibe yeah, you, know, you you pick up on a vibe with people, but there's uh, there's also the school of thought around the the chemical that um, which makes sense when I heard this. That apparently, after eighteen months, many relationships that's that's the sort of date where many relationships break. You make or break a relationship because the love chemical wears off. There's mm. actually a chemical that's designed to attract us. So, because our whole purpose is procreation and yep. keeping the species alive, um, much to the planet's um, what's the word disdain. Yeah, well, it's that's interesting because is that is that our wiring? It's in our DNA to procreate. That's what the species is all about. So, is that is love wired into that because you don't need love to procreate. No. Uh, lust can procreate. Well, that's probably what this chemical really is. Yeah. It's probably a lust chemical. We're going to touch on that and later. Then, but then I think, you know, having a baby recently, I'm like, oh, now that's maybe that's more, maybe this love is in us so we can care for this being for it to grow up so that they can breed and the, you know, propagation can go on. Well, so interesting that when people talk, when men talk about, um, becoming a new parent. They talk about oh, I had a baby recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did Did you have the baby? I I played a part in it. Yeah, but, but did you have it? Did you did I, Did it come out of my body? Mm. Is it a world first? No, Arnold Schwarzenegger did that a while ago. <laughs> Do you remember that movie, <laughs> Junior? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's just a, that's, once again it's semantics again. But it's yeah. oh, I, I had a baby. It's just interesting how we get caught up in that sense of life. Anyway, I think you got a good point. It's um, well, that's an important point because it's not. This is an interesting thing as well. It's well, that's an attachment. To, it's a we. It's a it's an I had I had a baby. It starts with I. Yes. So it's about how how would I how would you say that uh, a baby well, was born and it's in my house uh, now. We had a baby. Right. We. Yeah. It's a collective effort. Yeah. So when you say I, you're sort of excluding the other person. Yeah. But if I said we in the context of this podcast, they might think, man, you had a baby or something, you know? Mm. I would say probably Melissa and I had a baby. Yeah, my partner and I. Yeah. 
But then you got to look at that baby because then I'm trying to raise. I hope you look at it. Raising him, um, in that he's not mine, but I want to give him the best chance in life and see him grow. Is he a possession? No, but that's but. that's it's hard to uh, reconcile that in your mind when he's so completely dependent mm. uh, on you, mm. and then you can't help your pride gets in the way because mm. like you know he'll do something cool and you're like yeah that's my boy. You know? And we spoke way back when he was first born, I think, um, and we spoke about it in a podcast and it was about um, whether he does something well, then he's a good boy. Mm-hmm. And do you remember that conversation? Yeah. Yeah. And and so does that pride sort of pop up? Is, is that the same thing there? Yeah. No, no I just I just like find myself uh, saying that internally. Yeah. And, and I'll catch myself straight away. I'm like, oh, there's that pride going, yeah, that's my boy. You know, it's. Uh, is he a good boy when he does those things, though? No. So that's. This is like the our number one, you know, big rule that me and Mel have. Yeah. It's this. It, we got to try, and it's fucking hard, but trying to remain unconditional love no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. If he shits in his hand and throws it at you, he's not a bad boy. He's still just a boy. That's right. So um, where are the boundaries and how will he know what's good and bad then? Well, that we're not up to that point yet because this is an important point because he'll – we all get to a point in life where we start understanding language, we can start to communicate and all of a sudden we learn right from wrong, right? Hmm. So no, like he's 10 months old, he is – a hundred percent not trying to do anything intentionally wrong. Mm. He doesn't understand right or wrong. I know. So to get upset or punish him for doing something wrong is so ridiculous. Could, could you frame it in a way that's not punishing and just sort of yeah? Because kids are like sponges. He's going to pick up on yep. your vibe or whatever. So if you just go uh uh or something like that, is is that going to start conditioning him that throwing food, you know, at dinner time? Is not part of the accepted yes. model. Well, it's at some point he will do a natural behaviour because that's all kids are doing, mm. and then uh, generally the parent will go no, wrong, like you know, mm. and, and get punished. So all what does that mean for the kid? Like oh, subconsciously being me, so just me being me mm. is wrong. So now I'm going to start to try and alter my behaviour and I'm going to alter my behaviour so that I don't get punished and then I get rewarded for being a good boy, mm. which has the underlying message that I can't be just the way I am. So, but can he be just the way he is? Like if, if he grows up into a society without being checked and edited along the way... He's no, but so, so I suppose let's say he's going to reach out and touch a um, hot plate yeah. that's on. I can um, say, hey, that's going to hurt without making him wrong. And I think the same with him, you know, if he throws food or something, but I don't it, have to make all, him wrong. So much of it is determined by the listener, not the speaker. So if you say, hey, that's going to hurt, he may still take it personally. That's right. And, and be hurt by your words. Yeah. So Well, that, then, then I have to be aware enough to know that that's happened and then talk about it. Jesus. Yeah, it's like a, it's constant. It's really constant because the natural reaction, what I've found, is that we've got all the ideas in our head of how we want to raise a, a child because we deal with bloody childhood trauma every day mm-hmm. <laughs> um, with our work. Um, but then the actual practice of that is very hard. Are you, going, are you going to the nth degree though because of what you deal with in your work? Are you trying to keep him as far away from that as possible? No, no. 
No, we're, we're just like with the work we do, we realize that we're all getting fucked up to a degree. You can't, yeah. av- it's, it's impossible to avoid. Yeah. So it's None just of like, us make us ruin skates. Correct. Yeah. So it's just like, how can we lessen, the impact. lessen that impact? And then when he gets older, be able to talk about things. Because if you're open and be able to talk and learn resilience from mm. a young age, then you become much better at coping with this stuff. So, what kind of love would you call that then? I like to think it's unconditional love. Because the this is the thing, the idea of right and wrong is when someone's done something in inverted commas wrong, we withdraw love or that's how it feels to the younger person. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, you know, going to time out. <laughs> but like, you look at the animal kingdom and, and I, I like to look to nature for guidance on things because I think, yeah, monkey brain overcomplicates things. And you look in, in nature and and – you know, a baby wolf will get a nip on the bum or will get nudged over here or will get left in isolation or something um, just to, to help teach at the social structures, I suppose. So what's the difference? How do you mean? If a, if a baby wolf, you know, crosses a line, then the parent will nip it or it'll it'll – Send it off in isolation for a while, or give yeah. it time out. But there, there is a lot of difference between us and animals because we have a psychological self that we're trying to create and defend. So the, I often talk about the the uh, Rat Park experiment when it mm. comes to drugs, right? Because mm. people like bringing that up, and I bring it up. It's a very good experiment because it's like you have this rat in isolation in a cage. It'll just take drugs, uh, cocaine or heroin, till it overdoses and dies. However, if you take it out of that environment and put it in a rat park where it has other rats and stuff to play with, can have sex and socialise, then it doesn't uh, ever get addicted to the drugs and that kind of thing. And that's great for rats. Humans, if you did the same thing with a human, the rat, the rat physically comes out of the cage and into rat park and is like, ah, fantastic, I'm in rat park and starts to change automatically. If you do that with a human, the human psychological will, psychologically will still be in the cage. Yeah, because we have this monkey mind. For how long though do you think? Until they work it out and process it and work hmm. through it. It, 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 it can be a week. It could be 30 years. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. I'll, I'll be watching I'll be watching this child's development with interest. Well, so will I. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think your concern here is, will the child learn to become resilient and everything? Because I think you're making an assumption that he'll get shielded. From certain experiences no, in life. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. No, that's that. That thought hadn't occurred to me actually. Okay. Um, it's just merely simply a curiosity. It was. I'm just trying to learn what you're doing and where you're coming at it from. And yeah, yeah. Because then a lot of people go the way where they're just trying to shield the child from no, everything. I don't, I don't and, think and, you. And that's no good either. I don't think. Yeah, you guys are aware enough. You're not going to be helicopter parents. Uh, that's absolutely not. That's a given. Absolutely not. But uh, no, it's more. It's more about. I guess my question is coming from adjusting and and how uh, how he's going to um, integrate and adjust in because he's going to be raised. Yeah, and this is also the same in any relationship. Uh, can be a partner, can be son or daughter, can be whatever. I think the most the best thing you can do is work on yourself and your own stuff so you don't project that. So he's, I, I heard uh, Russell Brand, um, he was interviewing Dr. Gabor Mate on his podcast a, a few months back. Really good episode if you want to get it. And Gabor Mate is one of my favourites of all time. And they got towards the end and it was funny, they were talking about uh, Russell and his 
uh, daughter. And um, he got talking. He was saying, oh, what a, give us some advice on this Gabor, you know, and Russell's quite, you know, funny and charismatic. And he was saying, you know, the night before he was, she just was, you know, screaming and yelling and that kind of thing. And, and Russell's like, I just know if I give her, she wanted chocolate. And he goes, I knew if I give it to her, she'd be quiet. He goes, she was really upset. So I just didn't want to see her upset. So I gave her the chocolate. And then Gabor Marte is like, well, when she was, you know, crying out and that kind of thing, how did that make you feel? And he goes, well, I felt inadequate and sad is that the first time you felt inadequate and he had a joke he's like yeah first time he's like no that's been a common theme through my whole life and he goes because of your unaddressed childhood stuff you couldn't handle seeing her in that state so you had to project your childhood onto her and make it stop and he's like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) can't argue with that yeah and I think that's that's the hardest thing to do is something I've had to do in my work you know early on I'd run around to when I learnt about doing the work and, and worked on myself and, and got into this space I, I guess an immature or utopian or idealistic part of me ran around trying to help everybody and oh, oh I can see all this needless suffering and hey I'm here to help and, and it was really interesting the, the feedback I got for people was fuck off <laughs> I didn't ask for help fuck off I don't have a problem or just fuck off <laughs> and <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my, oh my Lord, <laughs> oh my, oh right. And then I stepped back and looked at it and I was like, they're right. And, uh, people don't know they have a problem until they say it's a problem or people, you know, don't want help until they ask for help. And it was a really important lesson for me to learn. But, and so I had to, and that was my childhood stuff. I was projecting that onto them. So now I had to learn to sit there and just observe people in suffering without it triggering me. Mm and to sit there in compassion and and you know, love them unconditionally and uh, you know, they will or they won't come to see me for help yeah. or, and, and, and you got to be fine either way and I, yeah and that was that, that that took a lot of work for me to sort yeah. of sit with that okay I, I had a similar thing I and I stopped you know using drugs and had this big incredible healing experience then I'm like you know I was like oh I've just uncovered this secret and everyone needs to know about it and so <laughs> I went back to you know a bunch of my these friends who were addicts you know yeah. the girl I was dating and you know these other people I've and got the answer guys just come with me <laughs> it's a natural high guess how many came with me none 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 it's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful isn't it that's so awesome. I remember this one moment and I went with this, this girl to a NA meeting and, um, you know, my NA feelings. But um, I went along to it and, you know, sussed it out and then we are in the car on the way back and I was just trying to bite my tongue and then she started talking about the higher power, you know, giving over your, you know, yourself to the higher power and admitting. I just looked at her in the eyes and I'm like, do you understand you're the higher power? And she looked at me and just like turned away. <laughs> and that was like the last time I saw her. <laughs> <laughs> That's that goes back to that being confrontational. You know, woke people with your your, your MMA dude being yeah. confrontational. That was you being unintentional. I was, I was way too confrontational. But man. you didn't mean it. You, I didn't mean you it. Was spoke a truth. From the right place. Yeah. You spoke a truth. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? You are the higher power. <laughs> oh, it's gold. It's gold. Um, so you brought up a good one about when relationships start to to falter. And I think uh, it can is. We, just before we dive into yeah. that, can we, we'll wrap up um, what we just spoke about. I think so. I think you guys are going to be, you know, you are amazing parents, and Tommy's going to evolve and, and his, his 
been given a great chance of um, uh, getting through with some tools and resources to, to manage the, the experiences he's going to have instead of just coping and being affected by it all. So, uh, yeah, I think what you guys are doing is, is admirable because it's the hard part. It's, it's so easy just to yeah. react to the kids and give them what they want and, mm. you know, tell them off and it's so much harder to sit there and observe them and be compassionate and it's it's super hard and like i i get it because like there's been times where i'm just like because like you have these ideas and you're like this is exactly how we're going to be then the situation arises when your buttons get pressure i'm like it's just be so easier for me to just react here and i think that's in it's in our day-to-day life like i work with all my clients about learning how to be less reactive and more responsive that's the ultimate goal we're trying to help them to achieve and on the drive here i told you i'm a bit tired my energy is a bit low at the moment because i've just been through a a relationship breakup and and it took a lot of energy to self-manage and self-regulate and and to stay compassionate um through that and not react uh, to anything so i guess my capacity is a bit lowered at the moment and driving here there was four cars that were sent by the universe to test my capacity i think (laughs) and these people were driving very dangerously like very slowly no indicators and (laughs) once again i had to go to the mental gym and do some reps and okay i'm not angry at you because i'm not getting what i want or anything i'm just i'm I'm more disappointed than upset (laughs) (laughs) and i had to work really hard at at not going into that road rage and into that you know stress and frustration and everything um but four that's a lot yeah four (laughs) in like a 45 minute journey but that, that made me also think about you know the expression the straw that broke the camel's back that's another one we got. That's, that's a good that's, one. That's the next podcast. Um, but what that means is that there's just been a build-up of events that haven't been managed and people's emotional state has just kept becoming more and more inflated until they reach the point of incapacity and then they just completely snap yeah. and, and lose their shit. So it was funny observing myself here. I'm not going to let these four build up and build up. So did I manage the first one? Yes, I'm clean. I've let that go. Did I manage the second one? Yes. I'm compassionate towards them. Did I manage the third one? Yes, yes. It's not about me. It's about them. Did I manage the fourth And so I had to. And that's that's the shit that I have to do day in and day out. It is like reps, isn't it? Mate, it's, it's called Mind Fit for a reason. We've got a – and it's it's Mental Health Month and – mental health day or something yesterday i think which is a weird concept to me because every day is mental health day yeah. for me <laughs> so <laughs> um but yeah and, and just trying to educate people that um you know we've got mental physical and nutritional and you can go spiritual and uh, all that sort of stuff but by and large I, I talk about mental physical and nutritional health and and physical and nutritional those industries are worth billions of dollars but the mental health industry costs us billions of dollars mm. because it's the most neglected one but it's it's the most important one it's the most powerful so. one so if you're not out there doing your mental reps you know and i guess that links back into today's topic of self-love you know and and love for others i don't want to be angry at people no of I, course not. i'm never going to see these four people ever again I don't want them to dictate how I feel when I turn up to see you. I don't want to then off spend half an hour of our time and energy going, should I say this wanker, this fucking blah, blah, blah. 
you know. Do you ever get this sometimes? I get like, if I get a bit ragey in the car and um, it's like as they're driving past or you're driving past, I just want to stare at them. And then I often think I'm like, why am I doing that? It's like, I want them to know how pissed off I am or that they did something wrong. I'm like, I'm never going to see this person again. Who gives a fuck? But then you don't do that with Tommy. No. Because you don't want him to think that he's done anything wrong. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a funny one. But yeah, it's like you said, it's just a build-up. You get this build-up and build-up and then just something will set you over the edge. But they often say it's like whatever you think you're angry about, you're not actually angry about that. No, well, it sort of uh, uh, it multiplies for me. I sort of the first thing and then the second thing is times two then the next one is times four and then the next one is times eight then the next one is times yeah. 16 so it's just the, it's just blowing out of proportion so you may lose your shit over you know um, missing a train or something you have a total meltdown but it's not the fact that you missed a train it's the, the three or four different things that you experience that led up to missing the train mm-hmm. as well so it's all included it's all inclusive Yeah. so if you're not it goes back to emotional intelligence. If you're not in a position where you can self-manage and self-regulate and and respond accordingly to each experience and event and the stimulus, then you, you're going to have no capacity. You're going to be fucked when you miss that train. You're just going to go on autopilot. And that brain's going <laughs> to melt down like Chernobyl. <laughs> and then you're not going to be able to love anybody. No love. No love. We need Barry White in the background. Barry White. Um, so love, yeah, so that uh, in Dr. John D. Martini talks about this in relationships. Is like you get into a relationship with someone and you have a imbalanced perception. So obviously there's positive and negative to everyone and it's all pretty balanced. Just like there's positive and negative to every situation that happens, yeah, but we just block out one side. So yeah, oh, he's screwing up his nose. No, I, like I, don't, this. I don't agree with that. Right, let me finish. So... Um, with a person we uh, start to fall in infatuation or in lust with, mm-hmm. we block out all those negative traits. So yep. we kind of put them on a pedestal. So I we just, don't... You don't want to shag them, so block out all the negatives. Yeah, and so it's just like, oh my God, I've met the most amazing person in the world and that is, you know, bloody rainbows out there, <laughs> asshole, and all this kind of jazz. Did a fart that smelled delicious. It like roses. Oh. And then all of a sudden, however many months it is, all of a sudden the, you start <laughs> yeah, to see... Yeah, I get that. And often you they'll say... Oh, they've changed. <laughs> no, it's just so your perception they that's changed. changed at all. Your perception. <laughs> but then you go into it and I had a client just finished twelve week program and she was amazing to it because she came in prepared for her relationship to end, I suppose. Um, she just wanted to work on herself and see what happened. And we spoke yesterday and I actually asked her to bring her partner in and he came in and we all had a chat and she was saying that she she was so f- – because she wasn't getting what she wanted, she was living in fear, she was trying to control everything, she was always uh, – it was, he was more dealing with her emotional her and her emotions than he was the, the genuine her and she'd become a person she didn't like and all that sort of stuff. So as as the weeks went on, she started applying what we were teaching her. Um, she started softening, I suppose, and in that she started shifting her perception of him and stopped looking at him through that negative film and filter and all the negative things and all the bad things because she had all these expectations. So he kept failing because she was not communicating them and they were unrealistic. 
And so when she stopped her, all of her attachments to what she thinks should happen, all of a sudden she saw him in a different light yeah. and she started saying all the things that she fell in love with him for and da-da-da. And she goes, oh, oh, it's amazing how much he's changed. <laughs> <laughs> no, he hasn't. Hasn't at no, all. No, he's still it's the same old guy. Comes back to that same thing, just yeah. working on yourself and then oh. just seeing how reality changes. I, uh, I applied for a course. as I found a, a Buddhist um, institute. That, that does courses and I applied for them and they've asked me why I, I want to do this course and my response was really interesting um, in hindsight after after I did I wasn't didn't consciously do this but I read back on my application I was like oh, just for myself and usually it'd be personal develop uh, professional development or something and I realised uh, I've been talking about the difference between lived experience practitioners and more scholastically trained practitioners lately, and and I think this relates. It's I came into the understanding that I want to go and do these things for me first and foremost to work on myself, and then I'll take the learnings from that. And once I'm living and breathing it and applying it and know it inside and out, then and only then. Will I weave it into it. my work and, and, and try and pass on that knowledge mm-hmm. once I'm using it as, as wisdom, I suppose. And chatting with a client, uh, we sort of came into this, they're talking about all their experiences with psychologists that were just terrible and it was just like fill out this survey and do this and it was all very clinical. Mm-hmm. And they were realised that the difference between a lived experience and a more scholastically trained one is the lived experience practitioners aren't practicing what they teach. Mm-hmm. No, the, sorry, the scholastic, yeah, the, the ones yep. that have sat in a classroom. They know it. They know someone else's work. They they know the, the textbook, but they've, <laughs> they've usually got more issues than the people they're seeing Yeah, in a lot of cases because they haven't done the work themselves. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, it was just that going back to that working on yourself, everything yeah. changes. Yeah, it's kind of like you have the, you know, sort of visual in my head is like the this knowledge or body of knowledge coming in and not going fully into the person but then going out and going to the client. And it's like there's not, there's something missing there. It can happen with lived experience people too though. You get um, people with lived experience who you're never fully there but you're you you'll get into maybe being a practitioner because you think that'll be the missing piece to fixing yourself yeah 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 yeah. i get that they, they, they sort of they've done half the work or something they've done a bit of the work and got a feel for it and then they've stopped there yeah and, and they're like well if, if if i just start helping other people i think they become advocates i find advocates uh tend to be like that yeah. uh, not not all of them. it's a very you know black and white statement but so many of them Advocates, I guess, are wanting to change the world. And I used to be you know, a mental health advocate. <laughs> and I just find that concept a bit strange now because it's it was that neediness for me to, to do everything. I still wasn't healed. Mm-hmm. So, so I was I was trying to heal everyone else before myself. Yeah. And so that was where... Because it seems easier. Yeah, and that's, that's where the advocacy was coming from. It was, hey, everyone, do this. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys should do it though. It's going to be great. Do as I say, not what I it, do. It'll change the world. It'll change your lives completely. Yeah. And let me know how it goes for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's funny. Yeah, obviously, very broad statements. There's a lot of very healthy and, and wonderful psychologists and psychiatrists and, and mental health advocates. I was, you know, as with them, there's there's great practitioners and not so great. So, hundred percent. Don't try and sue me for all my adjacent ramens. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, you turned your nose up before when I said there was. Uh, a balance of positive and negative to all situations. Yeah, you said you said everything has a positive and a negative. And whilst I, I understand that, I have a contrasting belief, mm-hmm. which is okay, um, that everything is neutral until we filter it through our lenses, and then we determine or decide whether it is positive or negative. Yes. So I don't think I don't think things are positive or negative. It's all determined by us. It's everything is just a neutral source of stimulus. Yes, that's what we're, we're on the same page. Yeah. Right. That's so. So is so everything is neutral. Yep, I agree. That's probably a bit better language to use. So then, if I have a bad in inverted commas experience, yeah, then I am only seeing the negative with that experience. Yeah. So, so in order in order for me to get back to neutrality, I need to see all the positive with that experience, so I can balance out my perception. Just like the person that you might start dating is neutral and you've blocked out anything that might be down here and you're just seeing the positive, you're, once again, it's, a, it's all having a mis But it's also subjective because positive and negative is so subjective. I, yeah. You may love women who smoke and I don't. You see it as a positive and I see it as a negative. That's right. So it's the same as my childhood. You know, was, uh, For 30 years, I was looking at it through a negative lens and a negative perception. Yeah, so you had to balance your perception negative on beliefs, your past. But yeah. I had to stop making it about me and start making it about my dad and then that's when I can start healing and being compassionate and empathetic. And yeah. yeah, so now I wouldn't change that or my army experience or you know, school stuff. I wouldn't change any of those things at all. Once, I guess I have an aversion to using positive and negative because... In the work I do, you know, cognitive distortion is black and white thinking. And so positive and negative tends to be black and white for me. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, it's... Think, it's things just... I, I, my, I, my terminology for it is things didn't feel great at the time. I guess that that's my version of bad. Um, but now, you know, I couldn't change them, but I could change my perception of them by changing my beliefs around them. So now... Um, now... There's a, there's a lot of value in those experiences, which is my term for good. Yeah, so we're just using a bit different language because we are where the ego will create a good or bad situation in the head. You know, e- even like emotions, like I talk about, because it's easy to understand. Like I talk about positive and negative emotions, but they're not positive or negative. No, an emotion is just an emotion. Yeah. But I think you, you could, people have a better time grasping it by using that language. I was my, my client finished her program yesterday we're talking about this sort of stuff and i said it's it's coming into to my room is is like learning a different language it's like speaking english all your life and then and having to speak french because we we're talking about her doing a maintenance program we oui, we oui. we oui, oui. and I said, if if you stop using this because it's so foreign because it's it's it goes against human nature a lot of it it, it can drop off. Um, yeah, you've done 12 weeks, you've rewired your brain um, to a degree and, and that's great. But the same as if you learn a language and then you, know, and you live in France, you're using it every day, it's, it's second nature, but as soon as you go home... You don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's where the maintenance program comes in for us. Yeah, keep them on that path. Yeah. Yeah, so what are we going to now? Did, uh, <laughs> well, let's go society's perception of love. 
has it changed over the years? Yeah, well, I, I, this came from, you know, go, go back to the 30s and 40s, uh, then to the 70s and, and down to today and back to the 1800s and go back through time and society's perception of love, you know, Hallmark cards and Valentine's Day and all the movies like, oh, you complete me yeah. and all that music sort of thing. Music like, well. Yeah, music, it's all, it's all so conditioning society. Yeah. And so is that conditioning helping us or not? Yeah, well, it's like, especially music. I think music's like very, very powerful and can make us feel. So can movies and everything, but I think music, but so 99% of love songs are about codependent love. So smack my bitch up a love song. <laughs> um, no. No? Okay. Because rappers talk about women... And and um, yeah, I'm not sure their definition of love is a healthy one a lot of the time. No, no. I was thinking more ballads and stuff. Oh. But no, no, yeah, rap. No, there's not a lot of love <laughs> that I can think of. Because <laughs> um, a lot of that's it's an about, interesting. A lot genre. of that's about status, you know, status and respect e- and ego, ego. Um, but so is the, like the ballads that are talking about like, you know, I'm nothing without you and all this kind of mm, jazz. Like, you fill my heart. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I don't think that's going to give people the same reaction if, you know, there were songs about unconditional love. Like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm just complete. The, the Buddha's greatest hits. <laughs> Impermanence is the best for both of us. Mm. <laughs> oh, we're both going to die one day, so let's be compassionate yeah. to each other in the here and now. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to resonate with society, is it? No, because it doesn't push our own emotional baggage. You know, there's some there's some kind of the pain point. There's some sick pleasure we get, you know, we've we've been like through a relationship and come on the other side and we feel like we've been wronged and then we listen to one of those love songs and we're like, yeah, yeah, it's fucked, you know, poor me and you know, we we we, we want to feel that pain, you know. That's because I just want we think I think we want that pain to come out, and want that emotion to come out. But it seems like the way that love is portrayed in movies and in songs <laughs> I was thinking of Mahatma Gandhi Unplugged. <laughs> Acoustic version. Yes. Gandhi and the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra. <laughs> Nelson Mandela sings the blues. <laughs> See, it just, it just doesn't work. It doesn't. You know? Yeah. Um, so I think society conditions us to think love is the codependent type which is i need very much so i need someone i need you i need you in my life yeah i need you yeah that's that's a lot of pressure to put on another human being well uh, i talk about that with clients it's it's if if you outsource your happiness which is what that's doing and you need that person to make you happy that's a that's a lot of hoops that they've got to jump through that they don't even know exist and so they become the source of your happiness and when they start missing those hoops which they're going to do then they become the source of your unhappiness and it's not oh. e- it's not even them but it's your idea yeah, exactly. of them yeah, yeah. so you've got in your head it's like oh i love this person as long as they do abc and they don't do abc if you, as soon as you start needing someone to do it there comes 
an expectation and demand. The word should will come into play a lot. You should have done that. You shouldn't do this. This yeah. should have happened. And that's so unhealthy. It is. So very unhealthy. Yeah. For both parties and the relationship. Yeah. So let's Poor the, people let's in codependent relationships. So, so we're gonna, for the we're listeners. Gonna, we're going to get to the other types of love though um, in a minute because I've got a little special thing I'm going to read out. What were you going to say? I'm just thinking for the listeners, like, I think it's really important to evaluate ourselves in our relationships. So step out objectively and, you know, that's the third fundamental in my work, that relationships and reassessing and reevaluating and auditing your relationships and uh, with everything, not just with people but with your phone. So go without your phone for a day and see how you feel. And if you get, I need my phone, then that means you're codependent on it. Mm. So you need some time away from it. Um, if you, you know, drinking alcohol, go for two weeks without alcohol and see how you feel. Just monitor and observe your emotions. And if you start getting heightened, that means you've become codependent. Yeah. So. Do some time without, and the same with our people. I think if you, if someone goes away on a trip or with the boys or a girls' weekend and, and triggers you, that's your shit. It's not their shit. So mm. you've got to, you've got some work to do. Yeah, owning your shit. Own your fucking own shit. Your own shit. Own it. <laughs> did this is one that you brought up? Did did cave men and cave women love? Yeah. Or did they? Yeah, well, I mean, where did the concept of love first come into existence? Who so, was the first person to use the word love? So imagine before language. So let's say cavemen were just grunting at each other, right? Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's probably still what this podcast sounds like to most people. Probably. <laughs> Flashback to 1800 BC. Um, so we wouldn't speak about love back then, but there would have been love in us. Well, actions speak louder than words. So the word love probably wasn't around, but the actions of love were probably in play. Yeah. What would that look like? Hmm. I'd just go back to compassion, I think, for me. It's just being compassionate. And I've got that quote um, that I spoke about earlier, and it's the beginning of love. Hang on, my phone's just done a little doozy. The beginning, where is it? Da, 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 da. I've got so many photos in my folder. Are you codependent on that phone? Inspirational. Well, only for the purpose of finding this freaking quote. <laughs> Here it is. Uh, the beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. So cavemen and women without this word of love without this concept or conscious awareness of love we're probably just experiencing these feelings and I, I think know. I think you can experience it not just with a human so oh, I love my dog yeah no, there is a bond yeah there. but but also I think love is having incredible appreciation for someone or something and maybe being in awe of it without wanting to change it in any way. So wrap this around your skull. When <laughs> when I went to do my Vipassana retreat and the biggest takeaway from that was my uh, – so I went in there after my divorce and I realised that um, 
uh, the hardest part of the divorce, which says a lot about the relationship, was the fact that I was going to miss my niece uh, the most. And I realised in that, and what he said, you know, just triggered that thought then, was that I was loving her conditionally when I went into the meditation retreat and when I came out of it, I just loved the idea that she existed. Yeah, yeah. And I just loved that this being was... It, it was... I went in selfish and I came out selfless. Yes. And I, I, just, I just loved that this little creature was going to touch some people's lives and the world was going to be a better place for having her in it. I didn't need to be included in that. I didn't need to be yeah. a part of that or be affected by it because I'd had my little chapter with her. And, and so I stepped into gratitude for that chapter that I had and I, I just wished everyone else the very best. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's wrapped around my skull and I'm absorbing that in <laughs> through my brain juices <laughs> and it feels good because I think this is it. This can be, you know, if you say that caveman or woman, you know, out on the hunt or something and just came across a beautiful flower or something and just for a moment just completely took in that flower and its beauty mm. without labelling it, without wanting to change it in any way, then I believe we are in a state of love. So that's why I tend to think love's a state of being as opposed to an emotion. And that state, as everything does, would ebb and flow, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like like um, you've spoken about a few times on the the podcast at your Vipassana retreat, eating the orange. Orange yeah, or mandarin? Yeah, yeah, yeah orange. Yeah. Orange. So in that moment, you were just completely appreciating the orange for what it was and enjoying it without wanting to change it at all. Yeah, it's just a deep appreciation... For the fact that it existed, really. Oh, I, yeah. It's not because I was getting something out of it. Yeah. yeah. It's it was, just like, wow, this is so cool this thing exists. Yeah. So then the challenge for people is can I be that way with my partner or someone that I'm just started dating? Or that, that, That's the biggest challenge to say, hey, can this person just – can I just enjoy them for being the way that they are without trying to manipulate and change them to make me feel good? Well, let's yeah, stop trying to – as I said, manipulate. Stop making it about you and what you want. Mm. And I think that's that's where love, love. I think true love. Oh, here we go, getting a bit deep. True love really begins when you stop making it about yourself. Yeah. When when you have no part in that whatsoever, it's just the flower that is amazing, or it's the orange that's amazing, or it's you know, that little girl that's amazing, mm-hmm. and it's got nothing to do with you other than the fact that you're just. Um, consciously aware that it's it's in creation. Yes, yeah, that's it. That's that's sort of the role that you play. That's cool. I've got this. Uh, it made me think about that quote. Um, oh, I am codependent on my phone today, aren't I? You look definitely at, are, Nick. Look at me. You take some of your own oh. advice here, mate. If you love a flower, don't pick it up because if you pick it up, it dies and it ceases to be what you love. So if you love a flower, let it be. Love is about appreciation. Yeah. Because a lot of people do. They go, I want the flower. I'm going to possess this flower. It's beautiful. And as soon as they pick it, like it's already dying, yeah. but as soon as they pick it, it's just going to wither up a lot yeah. quicker but they'll have it for a short amount of time if and, no one tr- el- and no one else will if they truly loved the flower unconditionally they would water it every day yeah and want other people to see the yeah. flower yeah there was there's a you, how many men do that with their women sorry just to water them yeah how many seriously but yeah. metaphorically how many how many men want the world to to see their women as they are 
mm-hmm. and vice versa, I yep. suppose. But we're both men, so we'll we'll talk about it from our perspective. How many versus how many men want their women's to be different or to hide away into? Fuck, so that goes you, into you, oh, mate, religion. Do you wearing know, burkas, like hiding away mm-hmm. women. Yeah, just I, there's Pandora's so box. many men, and I have done this in the past. I put my hand up that you know they'll be embarrassed of their girlfriend or their wife. They might she might be doing something, and it's yeah, a bit yeah. you know over the top. And there's other people there. Yeah, like oh, what is that? That's your shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't do it now. I've worked through it. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to own up that I have done it. Yeah, same. You know, same. and that's just um, horrible. Because yeah, you should be like celebrating, celebrating in awe of this woman. So where's the line she if she's like? How do you say it? Um, if you're at a dinner and she's standing on the table and disrupting the whole room, like if if if, if, if it's her toxicity that's coming out, I suppose, mm-hmm. do you sit back and celebrate that? Um, like, is that where's the line yeah, with the unconditional line? love? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I have to think about this. Yeah, go on. Well, okay. So if um, she's you know dancing on the table and causing a scene and that kind of thing. Um, I can still unconditionally love her because I think something is going on. I can't see that as being a true expression of who she is. There must be some stuff going on there within her. So if it then impacts on you, if her toxicity, is, she projects that onto you, do you stay in that relationship? No. Okay. I am I am such a proponent. People should not come to me for couples therapy because yeah, I'm such a proponent for people breaking same, up. Same, <laughs> same. It's so weird. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm a proponent for for health. Yeah, I yeah. guess. And a lot of the time, that comes in the form of breaking up. Yeah, I mean, because uh, there's uh, so to, many unhealthy relationships. But I have to do that with with mothers and their children who are on ice, and and the child is so toxic and so damaging that that the mother has to cut their strings with them um which goes against johan hari's sort of thing um his youtube talk about everything we think about know about addiction is wrong he talks about you know our families need more love but there's a for me there's a a line where they have to contribute a little bit it can't just be a hundred percent no percent no there's um there's a set of scales those are scales analogy and it's Mm. like the compassion and love and resentment and if stuff keeps going on this toxicity goes on and if you start dipping into resentment especially as a parent then you have to set healthy boundaries because mm-hmm. as soon as you dip into resentment you're not only damaging yourself you're damaging them more as well mm. and then nobody wins but if if you're not dipping into resentment if you still love that child but you can't access them you can't help them anymore you can't give them any more money you can't do anything more for them and then this child to start stealing from you or they start just taking full advantage I think that's that's a cut off point as yeah. well and you'll feel guilty but you have to take guilt over resentment every time because resentment soul suicide mm. Mm. deep man so, yeah. so that comes down to self love loving yourself in a healthy manner more than loving the, the, the toxic relationship you know, loving yourself enough to go I've, I've got to pull the ejector button on this yeah Get get out of this. Yeah, hundred percent. Because people don't like own their shit in relationships, and they're just blaming each other all the time, and it's like a constant fucking tennis match 
back forward, back forward. And we always, we don't openly speak about anything that might be ticking us off, these small things. So we just build them up and build them up. And we've got like a utility belt with all these <laughs> shit from the past packed into it, right? And as soon as an argument starts, we start pulling out all this shit from the past. And we're like, wow, let me tell you about what happened two months ago and what happened one year ago and all this and that. And we bring out our reserves like we're in some massive conflict. So we're in an adversarial relationship, which makes no sense. You're meant to be on the same team. You can only be on the same team by being vulnerable and owning your shit. That's what I figured out in in mine was that we were were spending more time and energy putting out fires than we were growing. We we weren't investing in each other and, and growing each other. Yeah, so it's like you're either spiraling down or you're spiraling up, destructive or constructive. Yeah, and then it just gets so much more difficult because then a lot of the times, you know, there's these couples have had kids and they come into play and then they're staying together for the kids even though they fucking hate each other. <laughs> it's so much. Try telling, on. try telling parents it's better for you to separate and break through their belief that we have to stay together for our kids. It's it's. it's yeah, it's so hard. I, I had a um, client this a few years back, and um, it's the same situation. So a couple of young kids in a relationship, dead set hated her husband. He hated her. Um, it was just so toxic. And um, we were doing some work. Uh, How not, can they not, not say that that is that 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 is a more harmful environment that they're creating for their children? Than being separate. How can it's, it's a it's a very uh, I think a group or societal belief that you have to stay together. It's this Catholic system that we're all living in until yeah. death do us part. Yeah, and, and, and people say they they're not religious, but they still go and get married. Yeah, we still sign that's this a, contract. Yeah, till death do us part. That's still a religious. Yeah. Doesn't matter how fucking miserable you are until death do us part. Um, And so we were doing this work and um, on something completely different, um, a belief that she created, not in the relationship, but just something about herself. And then, you know, we went back to an event when she was, I can't remember how old, seven, eight, nine, something Mm. like that. And um, there was this issue with her parents and that kind of thing. And without any prompting from me or whatever, we sort of worked through the emotion and that. And I'm like, you know, what, what can we, what are the learnings here? And she goes... I just wish mum and dad broke up. They just fucking hated each other mm. and they were in conflict and we took all that on. And I'm mm. like, I see. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Even after that, and I don't I don't know what's happening now, but even I think a year after that point, still was with the guy. So they still had had that same I think thing that's, going on. For me, that's someone taking the easy path. It's 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 easier to stay in a toxic relationship. You know, it's easier to 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 use the kids as an excuse to stay in a relationship. Yeah. It's so much fucking harder to say we're done. We've got to now figure out how to untangle this mess and untangle our lives and find another house and move stuff and separate and and and, and, th- and then you get to catch up with your friends and talk about how shit your husband or your wife is and everyone goes yeah well, well this is what my husband did or this is what my <laughs> wife did and it's fucking it drives me up the fucking wall. I was talking to Melissa about this this week. I think you feel strongly about this, folks. I. I do. I feel so. I can't stand when someone, male or female, I don't care, if they come and they start complaining about their partner, right? As if all their problems are their partner's fault. And I, I said to Mel, I'm like, I would, when I talk about her to people, it is only in like praising her and normally, um, I suppose, like knocking myself a little well, bit that's, about that's, my shortcomings. That's watering her, as I was alluding to earlier. Exactly. Like, I, I just couldn't imagine 
catching up with some friends and going, yeah, well, you Fucking know, things... Mrs. is giving me shit. Yeah, things, you know, this area of my life's not going too well because, yeah, bloody Melissa, you know, she's doing this, like... Dude, get your fucking shit together and stop blaming your partner for your shit. I had some friends many years ago, believe it or not. You had some friends? That's, yep, that's the end of my story. No. <laughs> uh, and I was probably a couple of years into to doing this sort of work and I caught up with the boys at the pub, you know, typical Aussie thing to do. And without a word of a lie, all four of them we're doing exactly what you're doing. And it was just a, a bitch session, basically. It's just an offload session. And my nature at the time, I was a little bit challenging. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, what's she doing well? Or what's she... And I got a message off one of them after. He's like, mate, just let us fucking, you know, you don't have to try and fix everything. Just just let us be like... And I'm like, I, I don't need to hang out with you guys anymore. No. And that's okay. Just let us be little bitches and complain about our partners together, right? So I listened to this. I saw this the other day. I'm angry now. I'm fired up. <laughs> I can feel the emotional inflation. Yes, I am an introvert. I'm not shy. I'm a noticer. I am a thinker. I'm an observer. I'm not stuck up. I'm not antisocial. I treasure my solitude. I'm not a fan of small talk. I prefer a few close friends. I'm reserved until I'm not. I appreciate true connection. If we connect, you matter to me. Beautiful. That that hit home with me. That resonated because, uh, you know, I've been, I had a 13-year-old client use the word ambivert in a constructed sentence. How old? 13. Right. And I, I stopped in my tracks and I'm like, <laughs> do you realise what you just said and did, do you know the meaning of it? It's like, yeah, I'm sort of outgoing but I, I like my own time yeah. as well. Like, dude, you're going to be a gun. Yeah. Let's, let's, let me at you. Let me feed your mind. Let me, let me construct. Let me you. <laughs> yeah. um, you. So I've been playing with this concept of, of yeah, I, I, it's all energy for me and I can't be around that sort of, especially as an empath as well. Mm-hmm. I can't be around that small talk and that toxicity and that negativity and that destructive language and all that sort of stuff. It just, you know, I, I, a part of me used to wish I could just so I could hang out with my yeah, mates, yeah. but the reality is is far different. Yeah, because it would be easier to do that and just get, you know, have, yeah. that, have that really surface level connection because that's what it is. It's an attempt for us to connect just to convey about how shitty our lives is and how it's someone else's fault. Um, but we've got more than that. Yeah. We need more than that. We have to. Yeah. All right, let's, we're already hour and five in, so I want to get to the... Well, it's uh, love. We can spend time on it. It's important. We should spend time on love. We should. So, yeah, I tend to think of love as a state of being because I think an emotion we tend to think of opposites and we think of like love hate but I'm like I don't think they're not the opposites of each other I just like I see love as a state of being that doesn't have an opposite yeah I see love as as just an and observing without attachment it's just a just a, it's it's deep gratitude I yes. think which these this is going to explain a little bit so these is a blog that I wrote a few years ago but it's from the Tao Te Ching um, which is a book by Lao Tzu guy who was around <laughs> bloody 
two and a half thousand years ago. Same as Buddha. One yeah. of the OGs. It's weird how they were all sort of hanging out same time. Caesar you know, was was around, and they're all different parts of the world, but with different with the same philosophies. Yeah, yeah, just That's different language, cool. same philosophies. Yeah, um, and OG. So in the Tao Te Ching, which is a cool book, it's like there's many different translations of it. But it's just these short passages, one on each page, and you know it's like you'll go through three or four, and you're like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah. Then you get to one, and you're like, oh shit, dang, oh, damn. <laughs> so he talks about there's there's five types of love. Okay. So the first three are pathological contradictions of love, oh dear. and the last two are healthy expressions of love. So we're going to start at the bottom. So the first one here, possessive love. That is this is mine. That <laughs> you're mine. <laughs> Don't leave. That, but that they talk about that in songs. You're mine. Yeah. 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 So that's possessive. I, love. I made you mine. Oh my god. <laughs> she she's mine. She she's my she's my wife. She's mine. Don't look at her. She's mine. Like how bad is that? That's pretty bad. So possessive love. That is loving an object because we are capable of possessing it or at least believing we possess it. So that takes very little energy. So, yeah, it says this is the lowest form of love, so much that it's not even love at all. No. Uh, it's the eternal quest for things that we must have, be it money, material possessions, or a partner. It's the objectifying of people and things. Uh, think of the male chauvinist. Um, this type of love turns the pure selfless act into a selfish and manipulative feeding of the ego. Yeah, it's all about you. It's not actually about them. Yeah, you and what you possess. This is mine, and look how yeah. look how much better that makes me. Yeah, it's a real. Oh. Look at my car. Aren't you jealous? Mm. Yeah, it's like Dr. David Hawkins talks about it. It's like the um, pride and how pride people think. Oh, pride's a very very positive state, but it's not because you're, ha- you're having to defend it. So pride is. All I've probably ego. brought this up before, but say I've got this watch on. Yeah, you meant to give that to me last that's time. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just it's a watch. Right, but as soon as I say this is my watch, it takes on magical powers because now, as soon as if you criticise my watch, I'll be like, "No, fuck off! This watch is good." Remember the red bucket story from India? The little kid in India found the red bucket and had a hole in it, but he was just stoked that he found a, a bucket that he could bang on and, and do. And he ran off to find his friends. He said, "Hey, who wants to play with this bucket?" And using the word "this bucket" that I found was completely different to someone going into a possessive state where it's hey this is my bucket run away from my friends so they don't use it or you can only use it on the condition that it remains mine yeah so he, it wasn't about him at all it's just, it's just this bucket's coming to existence I'm in deep gratitude for it and let's go and share it because here's the thing every single thing that we own we have is going to go like we don't we don't leave this fucking place with everything, right? But people go, "This is my house. I own this house." Yeah, it's the weirdest concept. Yeah, or my land. I've got a bit of paper that says that this <laughs> little part of the earth, this is mine. And, and 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 a bushfire should not come through here, because it's my land. Yeah, it's, it's so irrational. It's such a fucking irrational. It's when the uh, world when we live in the Europeans came out to the Americas, and obviously they bloody started raping and obliterating all the American Indians. Not woke blokes. No. But, and then after they, they were coming to some sort of resolution and they were saying to the native, the American Indians, they're like, oh, well, look, we're going to take this land and we'll say you guys can have this land. And they couldn't grasp the concept. They're like, what? There's no, you will own this land over here. And they're like, 
own the land. Yeah. You can't own the land. You live with the land yeah. and move through the land. You look after it. looks after you. And they're like, nah, we're drawing up paperwork and we're owning land. I wish the indigenous folk of Australia and America and everywhere else actually won those battles. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be a much better world, wouldn't it? It would be. The Maoris, like, why, why, didn't they, why didn't they all beat the British? Yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Someone should do a movie about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Okay. I'll do it tonight. I'll do uh, it with your restaurant. Code. <laughs> don't share my idea. <laughs> Codependent love this is the next one. Uh, this is rooted in the experience of powerlessness and expresses itself as an addiction to control or being controlled. So we've spoken about this. Codependent love is I need you, you need me, and you need to act a certain way. Um, and oftentimes, you don't like to get into gender stuff, but often you find there's a male who's more controlling and the female who's more submissive and being controlled. And they're both playing codependent roles in that relationship. I'll screw my face up at that one. Why? Because I think uh, there's... You can never know the numbers, but I, I know of many relationships where the woman is emotionally needy and codependent on the yeah. man. yep. No, no, it definitely works both ways. Mm. I think the archetype we have in our head um, is the male, but yeah, it definitely works both ways. All right, let's go on to the next one. So what's the, what's the issue? Just before we dive into it, I had a couple recently that were both codependent on each other for different reasons, mm. and it was equally as unhealthy a relationship. But it got me thinking, can, can two codependent people exist in a relationship? Um, and I think they can. What do you mean exist? Well, a sustainable relationship. Mm-hmm. So can can two codependent people create yes. a sustainable, healthy relationship? Uh, okay, you have to define healthy now. Um, but I think yes. Mm. Uh, so there's there's codependent, interdependent, and independent, and I don't think any one of the three can coexist. Like independent can't exist in a relationship with a codependent. No. And no, so two interdependents need to be together, two independents need to be together, yes. or two codependents. Of course. Need yeah, because be codependent means co, there's, there's both of you. So yes. you're, both, yes. you're both fulfilling a perceived gap for each other, yeah. which is where the whole you complete me stuff comes from. Yeah. And you get you range of issues because if you have this codependent relationship and then one person says, I want to really work on myself and address some stuff and then they might start to shift to interdependent or independent and then that just reflects to the codependent partner all that stuff. It just gets magnified and now it's like that magnet that was coming together is pulling apart. Mm -hmm. So unless the other person starts to do that work as well, that'll end up ending as well. Yeah. Good point. Which is a tough uh, situation. So we've got possessive love, codependent love. The last of the pathological three is romantic love. <laughs> yeah. That might come as a shock to I know. society. Hey, Lao Tzu wasn't messing around here. <laughs> there was no ballads back. Oh, there was. It is generally an unconscious escapist attempt to compensate for the absence of self-appreciation. So this is the search for the perfect mate, the one that will make everything okay in our world and make us complete. The Hollywood fairy tale? Yes. Yeah, it's trying to find that fairy tale and that uh, Prince Charming. Disney or has a lot to answer for. Yeah. <laughs> Where is Prince Charming? Dead. Oh, oh he's here. Dead. How are you going? Uh, <laughs> Did you just refer to yourself as Prince Charming? <laughs> I'm going to ring Mel. She'll confirm it. <laughs> uh, 
So we're all perfect just the way the way we are. That imagined person in our head doesn't exist, so we're chasing a unicorn and trying to change people. This is often, um, you'll find as well that people tend to fall in love with the perceived potential of their partner. I did, I've done this before. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I talk to clients about living in two realities, the reality of what we potentially believe could happen or the reality, no, three realities, the reality of what we think should happen or the reality of what is happening. Mm. And I know, yeah, past relationships of mine being, you know, that natural sort of utopian, glass half full, optimistic, rose-coloured glasses kind of guy, I'd, I'd not look at their flaws. I'd, I'd, you know, the alarm bells would go off and I'd silence them and push them to the side and ignore them and just keep going, yeah, but if this happens, then it's going to be amazing. And if, if only this happens and we can do this together and then everything will be perfect. And uh, I wish those younger versions of me had have listened to the alarm bells. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, we see a lot in here. You get someone like, oh, you know, I just, I know, I just know he can be this, this, and this. Do like, you? what's been happening in the last five years? Well, that, that, and that. Yeah. <laughs> so, we, uh, you're just looking at a potential now. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, da- it's a really harmful um, uh, mindset to carry around. Absolutely. All right, we're about to move into the two uh, oh. healthy expressions of Excellent. love. Excellent. Enlighten me. Subjective love. It is the expression of a state of lovingness. There are no ulterior motives, no objects of material value to be acquired. The person who experiences this love is relatively without armour. So the word that comes to mind for me in that is content. Yes. I'm I'm content within myself. I'm not needing anything. I don't need X, Y, and Z to happen. It can just... Uh, it can just, yeah, things can just be. Yes. So it's saying that this is without conditions. So some of the, the conditions that we put on our love is, I'll love you if you love me back. I'll love you if you're there for me. I'll love you if you never leave me. I'll love you as long as you keep acting this way. And those aren't real love. They are conditions. So when we drop the conditions, we shed our armor. We live in harmony. We love everyone and everything just the way it is. We experience life in a loving way. Sounds uh, like flow, not force, doesn't it? Sounds very peaceful. It does. Super mm. peaceful. Last one. Mm. Oh, this one's intense. Oh, I bet you this is disappearing in a, a cloud of glitter and something. This is um, a night of cocaine and hookers. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to kittens in <laughs> South Melbourne. <laughs> the last one is become love. It is the experience of our total humanity, stripped of every shred of alienation, stripped of every premise of aggressive civilization. It is complete self and social actualization. So imagine our listeners, they've got these five things and as we tend to do, we insert ourselves into the story. Mm-hmm. So I wonder where people are putting themselves on this on this spectrum, on this scale here. I've, I think I've put myself at the last one. I don't think I've become love yet. <laughs> no, actually, I scrolled to the end here. And so according to Lao Tzu, 
if we're lucky, we might get a temporary moment in time to feel that fifth love. Right. So in our whole life, we might get a moment if we're lucky. But the fourth is definitely attainable in this life and is something I feel we should be aiming for. Hmm. I, I, I probably bounce between three and four, Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I'm aiming, I suppose, for four. With, uh, that's very interesting to learn to... I haven't, I haven't heard that before, so, um, yeah. And also, you'd be maybe be interesting to know if you're at different spaces with your relationship to different things. Like, are you at yeah. one area with a partner and one area with uh, a family member or with your work or stuff like that? So, like do, you think, do you think different people – I don't want to use the word trigger us, but do you think we react – and nature, nurture, environment affects us. Everything, the vibe of people affects us. So, do you think if you if you met Stacy and she was toxic or unhealed or whatever, codependent, do you think that would affect you in some way? Whereas if you met um, Angie and she was healthy and healed or whatever, she was independent. Do you think that would influence? How you feel? Well, it depends where you're at. So but I remember when I was younger, if a girl said to me, I need you, I fucking love that. I said, that sends shivers down my spine. <laughs> so I would have loved that. If she's wow. like, I need you, I'm like, fuck yeah, yeah, someone needs me, right? Yeah. But only if you're going through the process of doing my own work and that kind of thing, if I wasn't in a relationship now and someone said they need me, I'd be like, oh God, no. Yeah. Like that would just send alarm bells off straight away. Um, I always tell people now, I have one of my best mates, Milos, shout out to Milos. Um, we talk about relationships often. We have the exact same view here. It's like um, the thing I love about Melissa the most is that if she didn't have me around, she'd be absolutely fine. I was, I was been in conflict a little bit with that um, because, yeah, I feel I I don't need anyone to make me happy mm-hmm. and I don't think I've ever met anyone that's okay with that mm. be, because they, they want me to need them or they want me to yeah. uh, be a bit codependent on them. Well, this is, yeah, this is an independent codependent mm. um, trying to match each other. Here. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, because, um, yeah, that's been one of the biggest shifts for me in relationship because I, I had this old notion of love where you need me, I need you, yeah, yeah. you know, we're in this together and all that kind of jazz. It's so, so foreign from a lot of society, I think, this, this, oh, I, this idea absolutely. that there is a... A fourth and a fifth, you know, yeah, kind of love. I wonder if, like, as we start waking up and moving into these kind of higher levels of consciousness, the music will change as well. And you know, there'll be some <laughs> Nelson Mandela's <laughs> Mahatma Gandhi blues. live at Slane Castle. <laughs> What's funny is you mentioned that I, I was listening to a podcast only last week, and this guy, his name was Forrest something, but he's a musician, and he went and met with uh, Ramdas who he uh, has had like a stroke recently and is quite slow to speak now, but he's still switched on and that. And he sat down with him for hours and hours and just asked him certain questions about things. And then he went back and he made an entire album of music, but with Ram Dass's Sit- teachings wow. uh, woven in there as well. Sitting with Ram Dass. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be woke, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think the, the musical landscape will change no. because the majority always rule. We're talking about bitches and hoes. Yeah, yeah, smack my bitch up. <laughs> mm. <laughs> well, let's uh, end on that, mate. 
um, I think we have covered a fair bit to do with love here. I think it's a good topic. I think there's a lot to it. I think the takeaway is just check in where you're at with the things that you love in your life. Do an audit. Are you being possessed? Yep, do an audit. A love audit. Mm. Doesn't sound very romantic. It's healthy though. It is healthy. It's really important to to look at it objectively. Don't beat yourself up. Don't think, oh, it's good or bad or right or wrong or anything. Just just yeah. look at is is my relationship with people or things um, healthy and sustainable. Yeah. So just bounce it off those two things. Yeah. Even start with things might be easier. Yeah. Start with things and go from there. Because like. What would happen if you got fired? People go into deep suffering because they're so afraid or they take it personally or whatever. They're not actually attached to their job. Most people hate their jobs. They're attached to mm. the security, the sense of security. Yeah. So it's, it's like, I hate my job, I hate my job. <laughs> I got fired, it's yeah, bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I'm struggling to see what the problem is. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good practice. Even if you're like really into your cars and you're like, my car and I've had it modified and everything, just look at it and go, I can love this car, but it's going to go away one day. So give me your watch then. It might get stolen. So you, do you want my watch? Yep. I'm going to give you my watch. I'm doing. I'm taking it off right now. Okay. There you go. I may or may not give it back, and that's fine. Because mm. I'm just happy that watch exists. What are you experiencing right now? Um, honestly, honestly, yeah. I'm like I'm happy to let it go. Part of me is going, How, "When's he going to give that back?" <laughs> so you're experiencing your attachment. Yeah, but now I can work through it because yeah. like I'm feeling that attachment and that come up in me. Yeah, and then I can just go, "No, you can work your way out of the, it." I don't need the watch. Mm. It's just a watch. It's not that great, actually, people. It's just it's a weird kind of blue with a brown. I blue like, and brown should never be I like seen. That blue. Um, but you know, you every, every, back, I don't want it. everything's gonna disappear in life. Everything's impermanent. It's you know? one of the eight hard truths. Yeah. Now, like, we look at our relationship and say you're gonna be with someone for the rest of your life. Cool. One is gonna die first. Yeah. It's gonna end. Like mm. everything is gonna end. So when when the Stoics talk about that memento mori, and so when you can wrap your head around that as well. And you come into a deep acceptance that everything will leave, everything will go away, everything will crumble and perish. Instead of living in fear of that expiry date coming into existence, you can live every day in the moment in gratitude and appreciation of just spending time with it. So your, your love can shift and change and deepen. And that's what will matter. Yeah. We won't get to the end and go, oh, look at all this stuff that I possessed and accumulated. You go, how did I live my life? Yeah. And I think if we can live our life in that uh, unattached loving space, now I think we can call that a good life. I think grief is so funny. Okay, let me reword that. <laughs> <laughs> grief is very interesting because I, I think it's a very selfish thing grief it's not about the person that has passed away no one's really sad for the person they're sad for themselves what am i missing who aren't i going to see anymore what have i lost mm. i've lost this person i've lost this thing i will never see them again. every sentence around grief starts with i yeah i can't believe they left me yeah um it also, I they think shouldn't have died. I can't believe they died. They were so young. Yeah. I walked through a cemetery yesterday. Yeah. Very grounding experience because I was looking at the, some of the gravestones had photos of people and, and most of them were old. But then I started looking at the dates and there were some very young ones, two years old, ten yeah. years old. And, and I thought a person could walk through here uh, that's operating on a really irrational belief system and go into deep suffering because they think, oh... It's so horrible that that child died. 
where's the difference between an 80 year old and a two year old dying mm. like it all comes back to this sense which is it you know like cognitive distortion where fair or unfair it's yeah. not fair it's 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 all nature yeah and we're so, humans are hell-bent on trying to live outside the laws of nature the law of nature is that everything is impermanent but everyone that shouldn't have happened uh, look it's traumatic and it's terrible and it's sad that anyone dies and but yeah i don't know just it's interesting walking through a graveyard it is yeah i think there's a preoccupation that you know i had this this interesting conversation to have but i was having a conversation with someone because we're obsessed with keeping ourselves uh, alive and longevity and all that and he goes you know we've evolved through natural selection this guy was a scientist i was talking to and he goes i've been having you know some thought experiments lately and i'm like by so people with you know really really overweight or people it's quite controversial to say but people with you know type 2 diabetes and cancer like they should have been weeded out of the evolutionary um, pool, <laughs> yeah. so they shouldn't be procreating because nature would have weeded them out through this disease. But, but where science, we're is, ke- keeping science is keeping them alive and procreating. I had this conversation with my neighbour. Uh, he's from England, um, army background as well, and talking about all the uh, um, you know foundations that are set up to to eradicate diseases and everything. And and he's like, no, we're we're taking human selection. Uh, natural selections are in human nature out of the equation to such to, to such a degree that it's going to become unsustainable mm. like bushfires happen to cleanse the the earth and to regenerate and regrow and get out all the dead wood and everything that's what disease and all that stuff's for as well but we keep coming up with the answers because we think we should stay alive yeah yeah i have this um weird sort of conflict in me when I like hear about someone and you know, it can be about a celebrity or something and someone's you know committed suicide and everyone's like oh it shouldn't have happened and that and in my head I'm like they're kind of they're obviously in a lot of suffering mm. and now they're not in suffering anymore mm. you know um, it's like nat- nature says you know I think it's turtles the tur- you know, the turtles that go up onto the beach and they lay their eggs on the beach and when they hatch the turtles have to come down and make their way into the ocean yeah and, and All the birds attack them. And yeah, so like 30% make it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 70% don't make it from the shell to the ocean and that's just how nature but, works. But do you think all the turtles are going to this, I can't believe that happened, oh, that, that bird shouldn't come here, Let, let's let's build something that protects it. And yeah. They don't, they just go, it's part of nature. Yeah, but if, Everything's if, in balance. If they did that and then all of a sudden 98% were making it, then the whole ecosystem gets thrown exactly. out. There's a mass explosion of population of turtles like there is humans and they'll start fucking up the planet like we are yes let's end on that note (laughs) peace out everyone much love peace thank you for tuning into the woke blokes podcast please don't forget to subscribe to the show also leave us a five-star rating we thank you so much and we'll see you all next time